Yeah. God is so good, isn't he? Leading us as a church through this journey that we've been on, and we are celebrating again what we shared with you guys last week, this new name that has been given to us. We believe it has come from above. It's come from heaven, uh, and it's calling our destiny out of us, right? It's going to propel us forward in so many incredible ways. And uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, we want you to know part of that story. So on your way out, grab one of these cards. It says, we are Kingdom City. It'll be offered to you by our host. It tells the story that we're on, uh, that we're in, and that uh, there's, there's some questions there that you might want answered. We'd love you to take a look at that. We've got some things to do before we go fully live with the name. And so September 30th is the day that all of that transitions over. Till then, we've got this phrase. It's called business as usual. Can you say that with me? Business as usual. Uh, while we're aligning things to the new name, we've got a lot of things to change. There's signs to change. There's posters to change. Uh, there's business cards to change. And all of that's going to take place over the summer months. And we've already started working on that. And we do believe that it'll all get done. And we're going we're gonna to go fully live with Kingdom City on September 30th. We're living into it until then, but fully live on September 30th. So until then, invite your friends to Airdrie Alliance Church. And, uh, you know, you'll check our website out. It'll say Airdrie Alliance Church. Continue to make your donations to Airdrie Alliance Church. All of that is business as usual until that day coming up in September. Well, we're excited about that. And, you know, God is working in us, and he's working in so many other people's lives. We were just spending time in Calgary this week, a bunch of us at Assembly. It's our national conference, and the Lord is just moving in so many cool ways across our country. And we were part of a healing service yesterday morning. At least 30 people were healed yesterday in Calgary at a service. Wow. So incredible. And, you know, it's continuing on here at the 9 a.m. service. A young mom was healed of a broken foot right there. Took her cast off, went out, went home. Jesus healed her of a broken foot. And I believe if you have a need today, God can meet that need. You can experience the presence and power of Jesus in your life. Well, today's Renewal Sunday, and we're really encouraged because we got one of our favorite people on the planet in the building, Dr. Rob Reamers here. Isn't that good? Yeah. We love this guy, and uh, we get to have him for today. And those of you who are here for Soul Care Equipping Conference, he's going to be here along with Martin Sanders and, and Doug and Terry Balzer. Uh, it's going to be a great week. If you're part of Soul Care, which is sold out, you know that you're in for a great moment in the kingdom. Now, Rob's been a, a writer of books. I don't think he stopped writing books, but you know he's got four books, Pathways to the King, Soul Care, River Dwellers, and Deep Faith. And I just want to highlight two of them for you here. We're selling them out in our foyer today at a great price, Deep Faith and Soul Care. If you haven't jumped into those books, pick one up, pick both of them up on your way home. They'll be a blessing for you. So let's welcome Rob as he comes up here. Rob, good to have you. Hey. Hi to your lovely wife, Jen. Jen, good to have you here. Glad that you're with us. So you guys have moved now from the Boston area uh, up to New York. And, uh, I, you know, I know you're a New York Yankees fan. You, you've shared that before. You're not, you're not ashamed about that at all. Mm -hmm. um, Wasn't in Boston either. Yeah. Not, even, not even in Canada. Sorry, Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. No, not Sorry. a Blue Jays guy at all. But now you can officially be a New York Yankees fan because you live in New York. I get more acceptance. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So you're based there. 
and uh, you're continuing to minister in other places. What, what are some of the places you've been in this world in the last year doing soul care, <laughs> renewal stuff? Uh, I was in Cuba. I was in Manitoba. Uh, I've been in California, Manitoba. Regina. So I've uh, been uh, to uh, British Columbia and Vernon and uh, Vancouver twice. I've been to Perth and Sydney and Paris and around the planet a bit oh in the last goodness. six months. That's in six months. Wow. And you've got a new role. You're based at Nyack Seminary in, uh, in New York. Tell us a little bit about that. What's happening there? Yeah, so uh, Jen's the head of admissions at ATS, and I am currently working as a professor in pastoral theology. Uh, honestly, it was a better fit for me. You know, when I was traveling as a local church pastor, it was, uh, it's hard to lead effectively when you're gone. Uh, and so this, they want me to travel. It's kind of a win-win, right? It helps raise students, and it also frees me up. So it's been really good. Oh, that's so awesome. You've had a huge impact here in our region and in this church. And we have, we have sensed God working in and through your ministry, and uh, we're catching fire and burning and, and wanting more from God. So we're excited that you're here on Renewal Sunday. Amen. God bless you as you bring the word. Thanks, buddy. Good to be with you. You can take that away. I won't need it anyway. So. Oh, it's good to be back with you guys. I love your new name. Love what you're doing here. Love the kingdom coming in our midst. The kingdom is one of my all-time favorite topics, so I particularly love the name. The kingdom of God is the central message that Jesus came to bring. And if I can give it to you in a captured sentence, here it is. The kingdom of God is the reversal of everything that went wrong with the world when sin entered the world. Put it in a positive way, it's the restoration of the way he intended things to be. That's the kingdom. So when you say you're kingdom city, what that means is when you leave this place, not just in this place, when you leave this place, you carry the presence to bring the kingdom, to heal the sick, cast out demons, save the lost, and set the captives free, to restore justice, to break people free from addiction, to help people who are cancerous be cured. That's the kingdom. That's what Jesus came to bring. So personally, I love your name. May the king reign in this city. If you're going to see the kingdom come like that, you're going to have to go deep in your faith. Because one of the prerequisites for seeing kingdom activity is you must believe. You must have faith to see the kingdom come. In my own spiritual journey, I noticed there was a gap in a certain area of my faith a number of years ago that I needed to address. Uh, I saw, you know, I had incredible faith in things like casting out demons. Like, I have never met a demon I didn't think I could get out. And I have cast out thousands and thousands of demons from thousands and thousands of people at this point in my life. I've seen some amazing things and deep transformation. And every time I've run into something demonic, I absolutely am 100% certain that thing will leave. I've never had a question. But I noticed I didn't have the same faith when I went to pray for the sick. You know, if my faith in deliverance ministries was, you know, scale of 1 to 10, way up there in a 9-10 fashion, my faith for healing was not so great. It was more like a 4. And, uh, you know, the problem is the lower your faith, the less you see. So the question is, how do you develop your faith? Because it is developmental. A lot of us are way too passive about our spiritual journey. 
We are putting way too much of this on God and not taking responsibility for our part. Listen, God's part's the miracles. You can't do that. But your part is faith. You can develop that. And so the question is, how? How do you develop faith? And that's actually what I want to talk about today and look at today. And I want to take a look at this passage in John chapter 14, 12, because Jesus makes this very clear how important this is in the works of the kingdom. He opens with a, a phrase that is a, a formulaic expression Jesus uses. That is, he only uses this when he's about to tell you a truth that is so extraordinary, he knows you will dismiss it out of hand, okay? And so he says, very, very truly, or truly, truly, or verily, verily, or in the translation here in the NIV, very truly, I tell you. This is, he's going, I know you're not going to believe this. I'm telling you, this is double true. So bank on it. Double truth. All. That's the scope of the promise. Who have faith in me, that's the condition of the promise. Will do the works I have been doing. That's the promise. The promise Jesus makes is this, and this is why he drops the double on it. He says, listen, if you believe in me, if you have faith in me, you'll do the kingdom activity that I've been doing. Cast out demons, heal the sick, save the lost, set the captives free. You'll do the works of the kingdom. But the key is faith. And I want you to notice the word all. In case you missed it, I'm going to make it clear. That included you. And it included your children. They didn't get a junior Holy Spirit. They got the same Holy Spirit you got. And you got the same Holy Spirit that the Apostle Peter had. You got the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. And the Holy Spirit isn't impotent today. And so his promise is, listen, if you're walking in step with me, you have faith in me, you're going to do the works of the kingdom. And then he goes on and says, you'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I don't think the greater things have to do with quality. You know, you're not going to do greater miracles. That's not his point. I mean, it's pretty hard to trump raising the dead. You know what I'm saying? Calming storms, multiplying loaves. What he is saying is there's a lot more of you than there were of me. When Jesus was here, he was limited to one space, one time. That's who he was. He was human. And all of a sudden now, he's multiplying his kingdom activity by putting his spirit in you, the same spirit that was in him. So now, if you would look at the number of people in this service and last service, and if all of you would activate the works of the kingdom, could you imagine the impact you could have on your region? If you could multiply that through the alliance in Canada, and every alliance member was living into this promise and activating the works of the kingdom in their workplace, in their neighborhood, in the places they worked out. Could you imagine the difference it would make in Canada? The problem is, too often, too many of us are living way too beneath our potential as children of the king. So the question, once again, how do we develop faith? Let me just talk about faith for one second, then we'll talk about how to develop it. Faith creates an atmosphere where God is moved to act. Faith is a key that unlocks the treasure house of God stocked with answered prayers. Faith is a conduit that carries the presence and power of God right into the midst of his people or into the midst of our world and our community. Faith is a difference maker, a future shaper, a bondage breaker, a kingdom mover. Therefore, we have to develop the quality of our faith if we're going to see the works of the kingdom. I want to look at this 
little diagram with me just for a second. I want you to think about faith. This is a spectrum of faith. When we start, way, most of the times, we're way over on the left-hand side of the spectrum, and that is, you know, we have hope. We pray for a sick person up front, and we hope something's going to happen. We hope God's going to show up. We hope they're going to get healed. We hope when we pray, like, a miracle's going to take place. But if we're honest, we're not really expecting anything to happen, okay? And when you pray with that low level of faith, you have lots of doubt. Notice the doubt line is decreasing as you go down the spectrum. But at that front end, there's a lot of doubt, there's a little bit of faith, and the reality is lots of times not much happens when you live at this level of faith. Now you move it along the line on the spectrum, somewhere in the middle you get to expectation. Your expectation is now you're praying and you know, you're, you're beyond hope. I mean, you, you think something's going to happen. Like there's some energy in the room. You got some passion. You're praying with some, some enthusiasm, some trust. You think God might show up here and do something cool. When you pray like that, guess what? More cool stuff happens. Big surprise. But there's another level. Way down on the other end of the spectrum is what I would call certainty. When you pray with certainty, you don't hope, you don't expect, you know. You just know. Listen, when I cast out demons, I live in certainty. I know. I'm not asking. I'm not begging. I'm not pleading. I'm not hoping. I'm not expecting. I have 100% certainty. I know. They're going to go. There have been times in my life where I've prayed for certain things. And if you're honest and really wrestle with it, you would realize also that there's times in your life where you have prayed with certainty as well. Okay? Please understand that the opposite of faith isn't doubt. You're going to have doubt throughout your process of developing faith. The opposite of faith is actually unbelief. Unbelief's a sin. It needs to be repented of. Doubt, that's just faith that's weak, and it needs to be developed. That's all it is. And so when it's doubt, I mean, yeah, we all wrestle with doubt sometimes. But when it's unbelief, then we need to own it and repent. When we develop faith, doubt shrinks. This is how it works. Doubt's just part of the journey. Unbelief, though, that's off the spectrum. And you can have faith in one area, unbelief in another area, and, you know, some pretty weak faith and doubt in some other areas. And so, you know, for example, for me in my own journey, again, you know, I had real deep faith when it came to casting out demons. My faith was way weaker when it came to healing. For some of you, you had deep faith when you put your faith in Jesus to trust in Jesus to forgive you and to accept you as a child. Like when you prayed that prayer, you knew, you knew, you knew you were part of the family. But you don't have as much faith for healing. There have been times you prayed with really certain faith about forgiveness over a specific sin in your life. You prayed and you knew you didn't need to pray long, you didn't need to crawl across glass, you didn't need to do anything spectacular. You prayed one sentence, Lord forgive me, and you knew it was over. You didn't know it just here cognitively. You experienced the release. You knew it through the revelation of the Spirit. And that happens. Certainty. And then there's other times, if you're honest, you know, you've prayed for the same sin to be forgiven dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Why? Your faith's weak. That's why. When I do deliverance ministry, sometimes, you know, I'm dealing with someone and they feel like, you know, they got to pray. There's ground. The demon won't go, you know, and there's ground. And they feel like they got to pray a 20-minute prayer to cleanse a sin. And I just look at them and go, no, stop that. You don't need to do that. One sentence. Name it. Give it to the Lord and trust him. Okay? Uh, you don't need a 20-minute prayer. 
If we want to do the works of the kingdom that Jesus is doing, then we're going to have to develop this kind of certain faith. One of my favorite people in the history of the church is George Mueller. I don't know anybody in the history of the church that had faith like Mueller has faith. He wrote a book called Answers to Prayer. If you want your faith to grow, take the challenge and read the book. The reality is this guy lived in certainty his whole life. I don't know anybody who had the certainty and faith that Mueller's had in the history of the church. And so he's really helped me. So now let's talk a little bit about how do we develop faith. Let me give you three things today. And first one I'm not going to spend a lot of time with because I've talked to you about it before when I've been here. I know Sandy talks to you about it, so I just want to touch it because it's really important. If we're going to develop certain faith, we're going to have to develop deep intimacy with God because the reality is this kind of active trust is developed in close, intimate relationship. I mean, just think about your own friends. If you have two friends, one of them you barely know, but you know, you call them a friend, and the other one is your closest friend, and they both ask for a sacrificial gift of your time, which one are you more likely to give to? The one you know better. Why? Because of the relationship, okay? So when Martin Sanders, one of my best friends, and you know, he'll be here with me this week, when my friend Martin asks me for something, I don't usually ever have to consider whether I'm going to say yes to that. It's the nature of the relationship, the deep, intimate years worth of relational building makes me propelled to say yes regularly. This is the same in your relationship with God. We'd say yes to God. He says yes to you because of the intimacy. So for this particular step in developing faith, the key is really to pursue God. And it's to pursue him for his face, not for his answers to prayer. You know, so often we come after his hands, not his face. We're not really coming for intimacy. If you actually examined your prayer life, a lot of us, this is what it sounds like. God, heal this person. God, help me here. God, I need wisdom about this decision. God, I need you to provide this. God, help me over here. God, do this for me. And honestly, if you had anybody else in your life that every time they came to you, all they wanted was something from you, how close would you get to them? How long would it take before they were annoying? For me, not long. You're Canadian, you're nicer. I'm a New Yorker. I don't have time for that, okay? So for me personally, my relationship with God started looking like a lot of a cosmic Santa in the cloud relationship. And I went, this isn't right. I'm not going to just pursue him for his hands. I'm going to pursue him for his face. I'm coming after him for intimacy with a theology of power. And I'll tell you what I noticed. When I pursued him for intimacy, I carried more of his presence. It's because I was closer to him. When I carried more of his presence, I saw more of the kingdom come. Even when I didn't ask for it, it just started coming because he was present. And the good news is you can have as much of God as you want, but no more than you're willing to pay the price for. So you have to come after him with all your heart. My motto for pursuing God comes down to this little slogan. There's four parts to it. I'll give them to you. They're not in the PowerPoint, so if you want to, you got to write it down. You ready? Here it is. Ever grateful. No matter what, when I'm pursuing God, if he only gives me a tiny little whisper, a little tiny bit of peace, a little tiny expression of his love, I will be ever grateful for whatever God contributes to my life. Ever grateful, never satisfied. Even if I get the next great outpouring of his spirit, I'm not satisfied. You know why? Because there's more. God always has more. He's infinite. So I'm grateful 
and tomorrow I'm going after more. So today I celebrate. Tomorrow I'm pursuing. When we were in assembly this week, man, we, you know, I gave a talk on Thursday night and prayed for people and saw an incredible amount of people just encounter God. It was awesome. And the next day I was out for more. That night I celebrated. It was awesome. Still celebrated the next morning and started pursuing God for more. Why? Because there's always more. Okay, ever grateful, never satisfied, relentlessly pursuing him for more of his face, not his hands. Relentless, there's no end to it. And then finally, never taking offense. Because, you know, if you're going to pursue God, sometimes God's going to not do things the way you want him to. And if you're going to take offense, you're going to withdraw. And I had to make a decision in my life that I would never take offense at God. And so I have done that. God doesn't always play according to my rules. He doesn't always do what I want him to do. He doesn't always give me the opportunities I want him to give me. He doesn't always respond the way I want him to respond. I have determined in my life I will never take offense at God again. And that has made a huge difference in my journey. Second, if we're going to develop certain faith, not only do we need intimacy with God, but we're going to have to intentionally feed our faith. You're going to have to go after it, especially the places where it's weak. Okay? It's kind of like throwing logs on a fire. If you stop throwing logs on the fire, the fire goes out. So let me just give you a couple of keys to feeding your faith. Here's one. Feed your faith with Scripture. The purpose of reading the Bible isn't to know the Bible. It's to encounter the living God. The more you encounter Him, the more you know Him. The more you know Him, the more you experience faith because you trust Him when you know Him. So you go after the Bible. You know what? When I was wrestling with healing stuff, I started praying scriptures on healing. I started you know, wrestling and meditating with passages on healing. And I realized there were some areas in my life that I needed to surrender. Things that I had unbelief in, even, that I had to repent of. Also, I, I think you can feed your faith with books. So, you know, for me, when I started realizing healing was a gap in my life, one of the books that I started reading, well, one of the authors I started reading was A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Guy's written a ton of stuff on healing, and I'll tell you right now, he's an absolute radical. I mean, he believed to his core the Lord for the body. What he meant by that was he believed he could live out the fullness of his days without sickness at all. Now, that's radical. I write books that people think I'm radical, <laughs> read Simpson. That man was crazy, okay? And I love him for that, all right? But hear me, that guy saw more healing than I've ever seen in my lifetime by a long march. And so I thought, I'm going after some of this stuff. So I read Simpson stuff. I read Andrew Murray has a book called Divine Healing. He's another of the ancients, and I read him. It was terrific. And I went to the moderns, and I read people like John Arnott and Mahesh Shavda and Bill Johnson and Randy Clark. And the sad part about what I just said is there's not an evangelical amongst them. They're all charismatics. And I realized there isn't a single evangelical book out there on healing today. And here we are. We claim to believe the Bible. And we deny its power, the power of the author. And I thought to myself, we need evangelicals to write on this again. And so, you know, probably one day I'll write a book on healing because this stuff, got to get it back out there in the evangelical camp, okay? So I read books. That was one of the things I did. I fed my experience. You could feed your faith by having new experiences. So I was very intentional about this. I decided I was going to go to healing conferences, so one of the conferences I went to, actually, John Arnott was the main speaker. 
John is, uh, you know, from the Toronto Blessing thing. And listen, when I grew up in the evangelical church and that thing broke out, the evangelicals were giving John all kinds of crap. That's a Hebrew word. You got to look it up, okay? <clears throat> Comes a lot from evangelicals. And uh, so anyhow, uh, I sat there and uh, I listened to that stuff, but then I, I listened to John. And I'll tell you what I found in John. Two things. One, uh, he was a humble man who loved Jesus. And two... He was a man who was moving in power of God for healing people whom he deeply loved. And I went, I don't know why everybody's giving this guy crap. A.B. Simpson could have written what he wrote. I'll tell you what happened. John gave a talk on healing that was full of joy and humility. He's not showy at all. It's not flashy. It wasn't anything about him whatsoever. It was all about Jesus. When he was done giving the talk, he invited people to be healed. And we saw about 500 people healed that day. One day. Less than an hour. I'm always interested in critical people. I, I have a philosophy. You, you can write this down if you want to. You don't have to. If I'm going to listen to a critic who has no power or a person who loves Jesus who moves in power, if I have a choice, only an idiot's going to listen to the critic. Jesus moved in power, friends, and he had a lot of critics. The critics crucified him. I want to be one who follows Jesus, not the critics. You with me? You better be with me. You're kingdom city. By the way, if you're not with me, you're not with Sandy, you're not with Jesus, and you got the wrong house. So anyways, you know, I decided I was going to go to some of these conferences, and I saw some cool stuff, but after a while, you know, I went to these conferences, and I thought, this isn't what I'm looking for, you know, because these guys are doing these things, and it's awesome, and they're praying, and that's awesome, but I need to see it. Like, I need to pray for it and see it. And so I said to Jen, coming home from one of these conferences one day, I said, you know, I'm not doing any more of these conferences. They're not helping me at all. I said, you know, I read this stuff. I believe this stuff. I go hear this stuff. I believe this stuff. I need to see this stuff. So I said, I'm going to go on a trip with one of these guys who sees more healing than I see, to one of these places where they see more healing than we see and where we are, and I'm going to see stuff I've never seen before, and I'm not coming home till I do. And so five minutes after I said that, my phone buzzed. I looked down, and I got an email from a guy that I've met one time. The email said, I feel led by God to send you and your family on a trip to Brazil where they're seeing lots of healing with Randy Clark. I'm sending you a check for $20,000. I don't know. It seemed like an answer to prayer to me. So I accepted. I have no problem accepting God's gifts. And so I said, yes. And we went on this trip. Listen, you know, the first few days of this trip, we were there, I don't know, 10 days or something. The first few days of this trip, I saw tons of healing. You know, I mean, knees and shoulders. One guy had a frozen shoulder, couldn't move it and prayed for it. And boom, guys jumping up and down. It's great. Saw a woman had something. I don't know. It's hard through translation. It came out as osteoporosis. I don't know if that's true. But anyways, I know this. She would bend over and she couldn't get back straight. And her husband literally would have to straighten her up. And prayed for her. And boom, she was doing deep knee bends. You know, she's... And so we saw some cool stuff, but the reality is I only had been seeing things that I have seen at other times. And I said to the Lord on the last day, I'm not leaving until you show me something I've never seen before. That's why I came. And so I said today to the team that I was with, I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not praying for anybody who has sickness in their stomach, knee hurts, shoulder hurts, you know, back aches, none of that stuff anymore. None, 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 none. You guys pray all for that stuff. I said, I'm only praying for people born blind, missing a limb, or has a huge, like, you know, 
tumor coming out of them somehow or another. I said, if I can't see it, I ain't praying for it. And so they're like, all right, you know, whatever. And so I'm praying. I'm praying for one guy, 45 minutes, who's born blind, nothing happens. Praying for another guy, 45 minutes, born blind, nothing happens. You know, listen, they felt love. I can't control the miraculous. I can control that part. So it's not like that doesn't matter. It does. But hear me, I'm pretty frustrated. And so I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm going home, man. We leave tomorrow morning. You've got to show me something I've never seen before. That's why I traveled. And that's why that guy gave me 20 grand. You're wasting his 20 grand. Come on, let's go. <laughs> and you got to call God to the mat once in a while. You know, he likes wrestling matches. He enjoys that stuff. Read Jacob's story. <laughs> so anyways, right then, a woman walks up to me who has a goiter sticking out of her neck that's, you know, beyond her chin. Tears streaming down her face because she has no hope. There's no hospital near her. She was 24 hours from the nearest hospital, and it took cold cash to get it done, and she didn't have either. And uh, I, I just laid my hand on this goiter, and I prayed this prayer, go in Jesus' name, and it shrunk under my hand. She screamed like a little girl. I screamed like a little girl. Her husband cried. It's awesome. Okay. But listen, when you see God do stuff like that, it changes your faith. And so sometimes you've got to get out of your experience to see something new. You've got to take risks. And that's the last thing. You know, you're going to have to feed your faith with risks. Your next level with God lies beyond the boundary of your current experience. The only way you're going to get there is to risk more than you're comfortable with. Do what you've always done. You'll get what you've always got. You want to see God do more. You're going to have to take a greater risk than you have taken in the past. That's just the way it works. Some of you are going to walk through the mall one day soon. When you're walking through the mall, you're going to hear a prompting of the Holy Spirit to go pray for some person in the mall who's walking with a crutch. And everything inside of you is going to resist that moment. You're going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm praying for that person. I mean, I look like a fool. Besides, if I pray, nothing happens. I'm going to look like the idiot, not you. And so you're going to resist it. I want you to hear me. The only way you're ever going to see God do stuff that you could never see is if you take risks and do stuff you could never do. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. I've taken all kinds of risks in my life, and that's part of the reason why I'm seeing more stuff now than I've ever seen before. Let me give you one last thought. If we're going to develop this kind of deep faith, we're going to have to pass the test and develop humility. There's a direct correlation between faith and humility. It's really not that complicated. You see, humility, the lack of humility, actually, is, 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 is not just pride in the sense of I'm better than other people. It's pride in the sense of I'm making it way too much about me. The greatest problem in the church today is we're making it way too much about us and not enough about Jesus. We are so focused on ourselves. You know, we go to pray for people and it's like we're focused on our words. We're praying for people in a group, you know, and somebody's praying for them and I'm praying for them and all of a sudden the other person's praying for them and their, their hand is hot on the person's shoulder and the person goes, oh, don't move your hand, I can feel the heat of God. And I go, what's wrong with my hand? I mean, how come I'm not seeing this stuff? Why is it that person and not me? And you know what I'm doing? I'm making it way too much about me and not enough about Jesus. And we do this kind of stuff all the time. Humility has to be developed to move in faith because humility makes it about Jesus. That's what it does. Only twice in the Gospels does Jesus speak of great faith. And you know what? Both times the people display humility. 
One is the centurion who Jesus says, I'll go with you. And he says, no, you don't have to come. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just speak the word and the person will be healed. By the way, Jesus looks at this guy and says, such great faith I've never seen in Israel. And he speaks the word and the man is healed. This is the only, there's only two times where Jesus is amazed in the scripture. The one time Jesus is amazed is at that man's great faith. The other time he's amazed is at his own town's lack of faith. If you're going to amaze Jesus, please amaze Jesus with your great faith, not with your skepticism. And then the other time that somebody has humility to display faith is a Syrophoenician woman who humbly accepts the label dog. Jesus says, you know, hey, listen, I didn't come for, for, for the other people outside of Israel. I came for uh, the, the Israelites, and, you know, so I can't, I, I can't give the bread to the Samaritan dogs. To which she responds, you know, oh, even the dogs under the table get the crumbs. And he's looking at her going, exactly what I wanted to hear. All right, it's done for you. Love's faith. Pride isn't the opposite of humility. It's the paralysis of faith. Andrew Murray said, pride renders faith impossible. James chapter 1 is a great passage, though not terribly fun to live. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And now let's be honest, how many of you just, your first reaction to hardship, difficulty, trial, and suffering is, oh, thank you, God, please do more. (laughs) But that's what he says, consider it pure joy, not even, you know, fight to obtain joy in the hardship, trials, and suffering. That's not what he said. Consider it Pure joy. Why? Because it's in the trial that you're going to get emptied of self. And only when you're emptied of self can you have a greater capacity for more of him. You're making it too much about you. And in order for him to make it more about him, he's got to empty you. And that usually takes trials. So he says, consider it pure joy because something good's coming out of it because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know what happens when you persevere through trial and you get the emptying process that creates humility? At the end of the day, you're left with two things, Jesus and deep faith. And when you're left with Jesus in deep faith, you got a shot at becoming Kingdom City. You got a shot at Airdrie becoming the city of our King. But only if you move in faith. God never tests us to make us feel bad. When we feel bad, it's a sure indication we're making it too much about us. God tests us. To refine us, complete us, perfect us. Why? So we can do more of the works of the king through us. The purpose of testing is to strengthen us, to secure and ensure that we have what it takes for the works of the kingdom. Best math teacher, best teacher I probably ever had was a differential equations teacher when I was in college. This guy opens up the very first day of class, and he hands us two things. First, the syllabus. Second, the final exam. The only teacher I've ever had do this. After he handed us the final exam, he goes, this is the final exam. He goes, I'm going to change the numbers on it. But he said, the problems will be the same, just the numbers will be different. 
He said, I'm giving you the final exam because he said, it is my job in this class to teach you so well that everyone in the class can get an A. I'm not going to grade anybody on a curve. He said, I, I don't want a certain number of A's, a certain number of B's, a certain number of C's. He said, I want 100% A's. And my job is to teach you so well that you'll get an A. Your job is to be present and learn so much that you can get an A. I sat there and I thought to myself, this is the first teacher I've ever had that understood the purpose of education. <laughs> no, seriously. The purpose of education is not so the teacher displays their mastery. The purpose of education is so that the teacher imparts the mastery to the student, so that the student masters the subject. Can I tell you something about God? He's a master teacher. Every test he gives you is never to make you fail. Every test he gives you is so you will pass, so that you will master the subject of the kingdom. But in order for you to pass the test, you got to make it less about you and more about him. you got to empty so he can fill. That's just the way it works. George Mueller said, if we indeed desire our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink back from opportunities where our faith may be tried and therefore through the trial be strengthened. In our natural state, we dislike dealing with God alone. Boy, is that true. From depending on him alone, from looking to him alone, and yet this is the very position in which we ought to be if we wish our faith to be strengthened. Let me end with this. I started praying a prayer, I don't know, it's probably 30 years ago now or more. The prayer I started praying was this. The problem is I read the Bible and I believe it. That's my problem. A lot of you read the Bible and you're still wondering about it. I read the Bible, and you know, the problem that I have is I read this stuff, and I see all this supernatural activity happening, and I think, why not me? Why not now? Why not today? Because has Jesus changed? I'm pretty sure the Scripture's answered that. He is the same. That's what the Word said. He's not impotent. So I read the Bible, and I saw stuff that happened in the book of Acts, things like the apostles would lay hands on people, and the kingdom would come. Some people be healed, some people be delivered, some people be filled with the Holy Spirit, encounter God with new measure. And so I thought, these guys, they like imparting the Spirit. And so I started praying this prayer, Lord, give me the ability to impart your Spirit like them, if my character and intimacy can sustain it. Because I never want to do anything to bring disgrace to your name. So I don't want it to be about me, I want it to be about Him. And so I kept praying that prayer. It was weird. Right after I started praying that prayer, I went to a conference, you know, and this woman in front of me stood up for prayer in the conference, and the conference leader said, hey, all of you around, when somebody stands up, just get up and lay hands on them. I, I stood up and laid hands on this lady, and she, she turned around to me afterwards. She goes, did you feel that? And I'm like, not really, no, feel what? And she's like, your hand was like a hot iron on my back, and I felt the power of God surging through me. And I'm like, God's answering my prayer. That was the last time I saw it for over five years. Completely dried up. I'll be honest, when it dried up, I was a little frustrated with God. I'm like, I'm praying this prayer, I don't understand. But I started to realize this James thing. He needs to empty me before he can fill me. I'm making it too much about me. So I just kept praying, Lord, give me the ability to impart your spirit if my character and intimacy can sustain it. Make it about you. I want it to be about you. And I prayed that way 
for a while, and then, you know, I got to a place in my church where, you know, I knew I needed to fight for renewal, and I'm fighting for renewal. My calling has been renewal. I'm preaching on renewal, and God gave me a dream, and in the midst of this dream, he gave me a sign. He talked to me about a coming revival. He talked to me about my specific role in this coming revival, and then after he talked to me about that, you know, he told me to go preach renewal until it came, and so I did, man. You, God sends me on a mission. I am all in, full out. Just put the pedal to the metal, baby. Let's go. And so I started preaching revival, and I had people leave my church like crazy and cursing me on the way out the door. I had blogs written against me. I had some guy make an imaginary Facebook page against me and friended all the people in my church and told all kinds of nasty things about me that weren't true. I had uh, some radio shows in Boston done against me. It was so bad that literally I'd walk into my own hometown grocery store, and I'd be embarrassed to be present in public. By the way, if you've never experienced public shaming, you have no idea what it's like. And I went to the monastery in the midst of that extreme beating, and I laid on the floor of the monastery, and I just prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, I don't understand. I'm just doing what you told me to do. You told me to preach revival till it comes. I'm just being your servant. I'm doing what you asked. Why am I getting killed? I mean, I'm not even complaining I'm getting killed. I just don't understand it. If you could just make sense of it for me. And so the Lord said to me, I'm answering your prayer. And I went, I don't know what I've been praying, but if you tell me, I promise I'll stop. Because <laughs> whatever the heck I'm praying, this is not what I had in mind. He said to me, you prayed to me for now, you know, almost about that prayer, I don't know, 15 years maybe. He said, you prayed to me now for 15 years. Lord, give me the ability to impart your spirit if your character and intimacy can sustain it. He said, this is what it takes. I laid on the floor of the monastery, and I wept, and I said yes to Jesus. I said, then empty me. Answer my prayer, because there's too much at stake in our world to make it too much about you. There's too many people going to hell to make it too much about you. There's too many captives on the planet to make it too much about you. There's too many demonized people to make it too much about you. You have got to stop making it about you and let him empty you. Pass the test. Develop humility so Jesus and deep faith are left. After that beating ended, I went through a season where I went through a dark night of the soul. Jesus' presence and power and voice completely disappeared from my life. Felt to me like we were on a wrong career path. I'm like, Lord, this is not the prayer I'm praying but I trust you. It was weird. As soon as I came out of that season of the dark night of the soul, the power of God and my faith went to all new levels. I have seen more things in the last few years than I ever imagined I would see. I've seen more miracles. I've prayed for thousands of people who the Spirit just landed on in power. Literally thousands. It is so fun when you go to church and Jesus shows up. It is so boring when you go to church and we show up with all of us. For some of you, you know, you're, you're here today and if you're really honest, you've been making it a little too much about you. And it's time for you to say yes to God 
Some of you are resisting some of the trials he's bringing, and it's just time to say, Lord, no more resistance. I'm just going to say yes. I want to redeem every ounce of what you're doing in this trial. Empty me to fill me. And for some of you, you know, it's your faith for whatever reason has gotten knocked off the tracks. You've become a bit of a skeptic. You're wrestling with disappointment. And you need to come back to deep faith. For some of you, you've slipped over into unbelief and you need to repent. And for others of you, you know, you, you, you're just in this season deep doubt and you need to take the development of your faith seriously. Wherever you're at today, listen, there's going to be a prayer team up here and I just want them to come on up and the worship team can come on up too as I finish. But there's going to be a prayer team up here today to help you unpack the junk that's in the suitcase of your soul. And if you have a fence with God, they can help you unpack that and pray. You're in a trial and you need God to redeem it, they can help that. You need a fresh encounter with God and you're stuck in your intimacy, they can pray with you through that. You need to surrender. You may need to just come up and do that. Well, let's not leave like we came. Come on up, guys. And as they lead us, feel free to come.